It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Hey, welcome to Matt and Cheryl's Gen Excellent Playlist Holiday Special. I'm Matt. I'm Cheryl. Merry Christmas, everybody. We're going to be picking our favorite Christmas songs. And when I say we and our, I mean me, myself, Cheryl bought here, and her husband, Mike, will be joining us for the first time. Probably not for the last time, because Mike is... Uh, uh, a music uh, guy as well. And we're going to pick his brain a little uh, bit. Yeah. <laughs> He's very much a music guy. <laughs> we're going to pick his brain a little bit. He's going to, uh, uh, Cheryl and Mike are going to share. They're going to pick one song each. I'll pick two. So we'll have our Mount Rushmore of uh, Christmas songs to celebrate the season. Before we get into our, our Christmas songs, Cheryl, uh, your kids are how old now? They are 16 and 19. 16 and 19, you'll have them, mm-hmm. uh, you'll have them home for Christmas. Oh yeah. They're here. Yep. So what I, is- I have to say this year, I don't know what it is. And my daughter just mentioned it to me today. She's like, I don't, I don't really feel like it's very Christmassy this year. And I haven't even really listened to any Christmas music and I haven't heard much on the radio. And I was like, I know me too, because usually when we're driving around, we just play the radio and normally, you know, you'll hear Christmas songs in her spurts between just the regular songs and i have heard very little christmas music on the radio this year so i listened to a fair bit today driving around just uh uh around the portland area on uh, the the benson high school station which i love fourteen fifty a.m kbps uh at, at a certain point today they were playing like jazzy funky christmas music christmas, and, yeah. yeah that was fun but but like you i've i've listened to hardly any christmas music so far and really the last two years i've barely played any christmas because i'm just buried in music and it just i don't feel like i can take a month off and just listen to christmas music i get just to keep up with all the music i got coming in and process well, you know, I keep pretty much everybody has a christmas album out now so you could de- definitely find new things to listen to christmas if you wanted to although most of them are the recycled christmas carols you know things that you that yeah. everybody's covering so you don't get a lot of new new music i guess in that regard but with each, yeah with, i would say with each passing year it gets harder and harder to really do a fresh take on Christmas standards. We've heard yeah. so many, so many artists do these same songs. And, you know, how many great artists are coming around, you know, with, with a new take on these? It just, it just doesn't happen very often. Uh, really, you really need to come up with your own uh, self-penned or, or, or writers need to come up with new Christmas songs. Which is actually a really up. good idea because yeah. if you write a Christmas song and it's a yes. good one, yes. you know it's going to get played every year. <laughs> and then you may even have other people covering them too. So, you know, yeah. it's kind of a sure thing that it's going to, that it's going to stick around since there really aren't that many original Christmas songs. That Trust me, if you are not a talented performer, singer, or player, but you want to get into the music business as a writer, and a lot of people have done this, a, you want to go to Nashville or get close to Nashville. B, and I, I know a lot of people are out there banging their heads against the wall trying to write a Christmas classic. Because for, for yeah. what you just said, that's your retirement right there. That that, yeah. that is your you write one Christmas classic that a popular artist picks up and cha ching. That's and sometimes that's gold. they'll get put into yeah. movies too. You know, it's mm-hmm. the same thing with a Christmas movie that everybody will watch every year, and if they get a song put into the movie too, that's even better. 
Now we're talking about modern Christmas, so, and that's the angle we're going to take here. We're not we're not picking our favorite Christmas carols. Uh, we're going with more modern takes on on the Christmas season. Uh, at least mine are my my songs are actually both from the seventies. Uh, one uh, put out in nineteen seventy, written about that time by the artist who sings it, and the other one written in fifty one. But uh, I got a recording from seventy nine that uh, I'm going to be putting out there. And Cheryl, you as well with a Mine's song from the from the, the 70s. late seventies, yeah. early eighties. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now- Mike's is actually from the eighties. Originally, there's two versions of it, and then another one that came out later. Um, I'm not sure when he'll have to tell you. <laughs> yeah, Mike's song is what I was not familiar with. It's very quite obscure, uh, but it, it has not necessarily in the Northwest, but yeah, everywhere say, else. Yeah. Yes, I, yeah. I was about to say it's taken a foothold in the Northwest because yeah. a couple of radio station DJs picked up on it, and uh, it's kind of become a tradition for some people. Uh, in the but uh, that one passed me by at the time, so I was yeah. unfamiliar unfamiliar with it. So before before we start picking our songs, what are some of the things your kids are going to expect when they're home for Christmas, like uh, traditions or Christmas treats or or what kind of Christmas, what are their fa- favorite Christmas songs? Do you guys gather around the piano and or go around? Do you, do you go, do you go car- <laughs> does anybody go caroling anymore around the I neighborhood? I don't think so. That hasn't, I cannot remember <laughs> the last time I had a knock on the door and there were carolers on the other side. <laughs> what about when you were a child? Would what? Would your family do stuff like that or sing Christmas carols around the piano uh, or go around the neighborhood? Do that. Or, yeah. We had different, we had some, we did have some traditions though. Like we always did fondue on Christmas Eve. Mm. So we do like a cheese fondue and then we do like one that had different, my mom would make these meatballs with like a thing of cheese in the middle of them. And then, and so that was like our Christmas Eve tradition. And then my brother and I would each get to open one present. And, um, and I remember, I mean, I was actually, pretty into Christmas music when I was younger because my parents had a lot of Christmas albums. I mean, not a lot, but compared to, they didn't have a very big album collection period. So the amount of Christmas albums they had in, in relation to how many albums was actually quite a few. And, and so I remember I would sit there in the living room, even like after everybody else had gone to bed and I'd put on Christmas music and just look at the tree, you know, sit, sit there and, and look at the tree with the lights and, I loved the Harry Simone choir, Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> that was one of my favorites. I loved the Andy Williams Christmas album, especially the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? I would just keep putting that song on over and over and over again. I don't know why, but that one just really, like, I just loved that song. Yeah, um, that's one of my favorite carols, too. Mm, yeah, so so there were quite a few. I We had the John Denver and the Muppets Christmas album. I love that one. Um, we had the Osmonds Christmas album, Johnny Mathis. Those are the ones I remember the most, but yeah, there was most, we didn't really do like our own singing, but we did listen. I do remember listening to, to Christmas music a lot. Three albums that I remember from Christmases of my youth. And I was chatting with my parents today. These were really the three big ones. So the, so tire companies used to put out these Christmas LPs in the, in the sixties and a Firestone album. Uh, and we had a good year one. I think it was volume six. And it had the the headshot photos of the artists on it, and these were, you know, easy listening type. Barbara Streisand and Bing Crosby and people like Andy Williams. My favorite and my mom's favorite too. I taught, chatted with her about it today. The, the Johnny Mathis Merry Christmas album, the one where he's on the skis on the snow. Yeah. 
Uh, had that one. That's the all-timer, really. That's, that is the gold standard Christmas album, I think. And mm-hmm. His version of Winter Wonderland, I think, is the standout. I believe it's the first track on the album. And uh, uh, he does a great Oh Holy Night, too. Of course, one, wonderful, wonderful singer. And then uh, uh, only, uh, only other really one that stands out. I don't remember listening, hearing it nearly as much as the others is Joan Baez had uh, a Christmas record called Noel from the hmm. early 60s. And that one uh, would play as well. One thing, you know, in, in our house, we would always have a big get together Christmas Eve with family and mm-hmm. a lot of gifts exchanged Christmas Eve. And then Christmas Day would be the Santa gifts. So Christmas Eve, family exchange, Christmas morning, that's when Santa's gifts arrive under the tree. Or in, in our case, it was by the fire. It was always like on the hearth in front of the fireplace where Santa would leave his gifts for us. My mother is half Finnish, so one of our Christmas traditions was pula bread, which is this bread uh, flavored with cardamom, and it has like maraschino cherries and slivered almonds on it. Mm. Um, and she would always make this, basically it's spiced wine, essentially, it's called glug, mm-hmm. glug, <laughs> which I think is more of a German thing. I thought it was yeah. disgusting, and I'm still not a huge, still not a huge fan. It's like... It's like mold like cider kind hot of wine. Wi- hot wine with like raisins in it and other like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do uh, you still do these, any of these traditions now with your, you've got a 14 year old son? Right. We got a 14 year old son, Cooper. Um, we, we don't do as much Christmas Eve. Uh, and and I, I'm finding that that's more common that most people do the majority of their Christmas stuff on the day. And mm-hmm. not on the on the eve, but uh, Christmas Eve was uh, it was basically Christmas was a two day thing mm-hmm. in our family. It really started basically late afternoon on the twenty fourth. It continued throughout the day on the twenty fifth because I, I I grew up in a small town and we had a lot of family nearby. So both sets of grandparents lived in town, and then uh, multiple aunts and uncles. So there would always be a lot of like Christmas Day. It would be going to other people's houses. Christmas Eve would be always be at our house. Mm. Yeah. I had the opposite because I, we had no, all of my parents' um, families were out of state. We did get together with a very close friends and all of their kids and, you know, family on Christmas day, but we still had a lot of traditions and things that we did every year. In fact, one of the things I was thinking of today was ribbon candy. (laughs) I didn't really know what, I didn't even know what that meant when you told me. Okay. We get a box of this stuff called ribbon candy every year. And it was like this hard, it was kind of like a candy cane, um, consistency, but it was shaped like ribbons and it was different flavors and they'd be in this little box. And also the other thing with it every year, we'd get the lifesaver storybook packaged, (laughs) uh, lifesavers that you open them up and there's like all these different flavors. Butterscotch was my favorite. One of the exciting things about Christmas is the advent calendar. It makes it a month long affair. So we'd always have an advent calendar and it was so exciting when you're a little kid to be able to open that first window on December the 1st. And actually my kids, when they were younger, we'd get, they, they were into the Lego ones. So now they have Lego advent calendars and every day you get a little piece and then you like piece it together and you build something. And yeah. Well, we don't really have any hard and fast traditions around here, but I I am going to uh, transition to our first song because this is my son's favorite and it's become one of my favorites as well. The artist is Emmylou Harris. Here's the album. It's called Light of the Stable. It's been reissued many, many times with different album covers and different track 
listings. This That's is definitely a more current photo. Yes. Than the original. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, you're yeah, very astute. I hadn't noticed that. So she is a country artist, uh, you know, a foundational country artist, but she's crossed over really from the early days. Uh, she started. She had an obscure album that came out in the late 60s that she disowned shortly thereafter. It's hard to come by now, called Gliding Bird, more in a folk vein. She actually came out of folk music. Military brat, family bounced around. She basically, her formative years were in Virginia, in the Washington, D.C. area, a little bit in North Carolina. Ended up in Greenwich Village trying to make it in folk music. Cut that album. Then, you know, she's performing in clubs in D.C. And uh, Chris Hillman of the Birds hears about her. This is kind of like hearkening back to Roberta Flack. Remember Roberta Flack in our second episode was Mm -hmm. kind of a local sensation in the D.C. area and the clubs. Old, you know, older woman getting on to her 30s. Emmy Lou wasn't that old, but she was kind of making her name for herself on the local circuit there. And Chris Hillman was in town, got tipped off, heard her name, went to the show, got knocked out and was thinking, God, you know, I. I'd really like to have her in the Flying Burrito Brothers. Now, at this point, Graham Parsons had left the Burrito Brothers. Graham Parsons on board for their first two records, Gilded Palace of Sin and Burrito Deluxe. He's left the group uh, going on a solo career. Hillman decides against the idea of bringing Emmy Lewin, but thinking, oh, I, I know Graham is looking for a duet partner. She'd be great. Put the two of them together and the rest is history. Emmy Lou is very much a part of those Graham Parsons albums with her harmony vocals. And that's really how she made a name for herself at the beginning. And for rock pop fans, I think that's what she's most known for is as a harmon- harmonicist. Not a, I guess is the way you'd say it. Harmony vocals. Not a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah. I mean, but that's selling her way short because she's a wonderful artist. Uh, her catalog is still waiting there for me to discover but just a wonderful artist and just high quality music not only the vocals but the story goes when she got her her contract so i mean okay so she's with graham parsons if you're not a graham parsons fan very influential musician didn't sell a ton of records in his time but highly influential and kind of bringing the worlds of country and rock together this is pre-eagles before country rock music was really a big thing uh he was in the birds very briefly for one album and that album is one of the first, considered one of the first country rock albums, Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Great record. Uh, then he left and formed the Flying Burrito Brothers. He had a band called International Submarine Band before all that. Uh, some great music there, too. But now he's doing these solo records. They didn't sell a ton, but uh, uh, now, you know, critical favorites, beautiful songs. And it's it's a lot of it is straight country music, but kind of with a rock and roll feel to it. He definitely lived a rock and roll lifestyle. and that caused him to uh, i think he's part of the 27 club right died mm-hmm. at the age of 27 with a number of another you know like Jimi hendrix and janice joplin and all them yeah um heroin overdose 73 joshua tree park in california so she's just gutted i mean she uh, i don't think they were ever romantically involved but they were very very closely tied and throughout a lot of her career she has paid tribute to him recording his songs throughout the years always speaks highly of him but she got her own record deal uh, shortly after Graham's death. And one of the record executives says, I tell you what, if you can get a hot band together, I'll sign you up. And boy, did she have, she is renowned for having these incredible bands. Uh, super talented musician, starting out 
pulling in some of the ba- the the band members that have been playing with Graham Parsons, which Graham had poached these guys from Elvis Presley, uh, Glenn Harden, the pianist, uh, uh, Ron Tutt, the drummer, part of El- Elvis Presley's TCB band that backed him in Vegas. Great music. James Burton, one of the all-time great session guitarists, uh, without question. Uh, so that, that's just at the start of her career. Her first album is called Pieces of the Sky, came out in 75. And really across her catalog, just consistent, high quality. Uh, it's country, but it brings in a lot of other influences, folk, rock, bluegrass, you name it. So in 79, she puts out a Christmas album, Light of the Stable. The lead track on that is called Christmas Times Are Coming. Now, this is kind of interesting. The, the composer of this Benjamin Tex Logan. The song was written in 1951. Tex Logan was not a full-time musician, more of an amateur musician. He did play with some famous people, but his day job was an engineer. He worked for Bell Labs. He had a degree, he had a master's from MIT, a doctorate degree from Columbia University. Uh, He worked most of his career at Bell Labs. He was heavily involved in developing MP3 technology. But he wrote this song called Christmas Times Are Coming. Bill Monroe first recorded it in 1951. He actually played some with Bill Monroe. I think he played the fiddle, if I'm not mistaken. Johnny Cash recorded it on his uh, family Christmas album in 1972. And then uh, Emmy's album comes out in 79. Uh, most of the artists that have covered the song are country artists. The song was a bluegrass song. Bill Monroe, obviously the king of bluegrass. Patty Loveless, Sammy Kershaw, Diamond Rio, Charlie Daniels, Oak Ridge Boys, just some of those that have covered the song. It's a great album. It's this has become a Christmas staple around our house. She has such a lovely voice. Oh yeah, and yeah. these Christmas, I think that it, it really lends itself well to the Christmas songs. It's a really beautiful album, actually. Yes, yeah, uh, and th- she she does a lot of the Christmas standards on the album: "Little Town of Bethlehem," "Way in a Manger," and then some more modern takes on Christmas. But the things you're always going to get with Emmy Lou Harris is. Absolutely top tier musicianship from her band. I mentioned the the initial musician uh, Ricky Skaggs got his start with Emmylou. He plays on this record. Ronnie Crowell was an early part of her hot band, and she she was really one the first artist to popularize his songs. And he would go on to have a solo career of note, and ended up in a relationship with Roseanne Cash, another one of my absolute favorite artists. But just a, a whole string of top tier musicians have come through her band. And then of course her vocals, just whether she's singing lead or harmony, just always beautiful. And there's just mm-hmm. wonderful harmony singing throughout this album. And this has been uh, a staple. Yeah. I actually went and listened to the album. I had never heard it and it's really good. I, I actually really like it. it I, I could see you sitting in front of a fire, listening to this album, <laughs> looking at the lights of the tree and yeah, it's, it's really, it's really nice. Yep. I, good I like mood. Good mood setter for Christmas. Yeah. For yep. sure. Now you, you've kind of vacillated on your song. You had one that you pushed forward and you've changed your mind. And I kidded you a few times. I kidded our Beatle fan here that she didn't have initially uh, John Lennon's or Paul McCartney's big Christmas song, but she's come around and staying true to her roots. But the big yeah. question, the big reveal, who's it going to be? Lennon or McCartney? Who's it going to be? I think anybody who's listened to our podcast probably knows that I'm more of a McCartney 
gal. As am I. As am I. <laughs> McCartney guy, not a McCartney yeah, gal. Yeah, yeah. McCartney fan. Yeah, actually, I mean, I I do really like the Happy Christmas War is Over song. I think John's Beautiful vocal, song. Yeah. I love the first line, just so this is Christmas. Like yep. goosebumps, you know. I, something about songs that start like that where you just, there's not like a big production or intro. It's just boom, you're right. Just and so yeah, this is right Christmas. into the vocals, yeah, like solo vocals. No, you we're know, there. No musician yeah. music behind it. Yeah, I and that that is really it's really powerful. But I have to say, I definitely listen to Wonderful Christmas Time many, many, many more times during the Christmas season than I do Happy Christmas. It's one of those songs that I think there's probably a lot of people just think it's cheesy and annoying, maybe, but it's so catchy. And it's so lighthearted and fun and singable and it has the jingly bells and, you know, the children's choir sings their song. Ding dong. <laughs> it is definitely one, if not my favorite Christmas song, original Christmas song. It's also kind of fun because it really sort of harkens back to the Beatles Christmas albums. You know, back in the day, starting in 1963, every year the Beatles would record a Christmas song really i mean i don't know if you could even call it a song but it was they were usually anywhere from three to maybe 10 minutes long fan club records they were fan club records that they would they would send to their fan club members um and they did that actually surprisingly i just i just went back and listened to them all they did it all the way up to 1969 which was kind of shocking to me that they did it their entire career you know i figured it would have fallen off the wayside by by like probably 65 or when they stopped you know, really touring or that, that era of the Beatles. But it's interesting because those ones are actually scripted. It's like they have a little play that they wrote and they, you know, and, and actually perform it. The first ones, <laughs> you listen to the first like three. And remember the first one came out in 63. They are so wild and crazy and goofy. And, and I'm thinking, are they like totally high in 63 recording this? Because <laughs> it's so off the wall and weird and bizarre and funny. But well, actually Mike, Mike made a, a comment, which I think is true and why they were, they were big fans of the goon squad and like Peter yeah. Sellers, Peter. Yeah. So it's very much in that line of humor. And that's where George Martin cut his teeth yes, too on he, those comedy he, records yes. yeah because he produced those albums so so i was like oh, okay that makes sense i i see the connection now because that that definitely was their style of humor and it and it really shines on these because it's really just them being themselves you know and so they're they're fun and i feel like wonderful wonderful christmas time sort of harkens back to that style where he you know it's just a very simple melody and so it was recorded in 79 after the Back to the Egg um, sessions between Back to the Egg and McCartney 2. And it's really sort of like a precursor of what McCartney 2 was, which was just Paul and his synthesizers, you know, playing a drum machine and and just him recording in his own home studio by himself. And that's basically what the song is, too. It kind of epitomizes Paul McCartney songs it's very simple it's catchy it's innocuous it's happy and it's happy and there's going to be a lot of people that want to just like 
<laughs> put it down yep. and, and, you know, say that it's, it's cheesy and, but you know what, even those people probably still hum along with it and they probably still like, can't get it out of their head when they hear it. <laughs> and, and to me, that's, that's what makes a great pop song. And so, you know, yep. this is kind of one of those songs where it's a Christmas song. It's clearly a Christmas song. They're talking about Christmas. They're playing the jingle bells and they've got the children's choir in the background. But it's just, I think it's a good song. Like, I think it's a fun song. And, I do too. And I think that's what makes the best original Christmas songs as if it's a song you actually want to hear, despite the fact that it's about Christmas, then it's a good one. So. Nope. I, I'm with you there. I, I enjoy that very much. Although if forced to choose... Personally, I'd go the other direction. I bo- I prefer the John Lennon song. Uh, happy Happy uh, Christmas War is over. Happy Xmas Xmas. Is that it's Happy yeah. Xmas is the way it's yeah. written. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. really beautiful song. But yeah, that 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 really shows you the 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 Lennon McCartney divide where there's going to be a little a little more angst in the Lennon song. You know, bringing up war in a Christmas song. Oh, yeah. Song. He's, it's a, he's talking about war and, yeah. you know, and it's a, I mean, it's a peaceful message, but yeah. it's, it's, you know, he's, it's definitely a political stance. It's a, whereas, you know, Paul's just wanting to have a wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> but I think that leads me into my next song too, because Happy Exodus War is over. It's just a, whatever theme or whatever lyrics you put to that, that's got the potential to be a hit song. Now, my other song, I I believe, and I'm surprised it wasn't a bigger hit at the time, uh, its stature has grown and grown and grown. It continues to grow over the years. And that is a song called This Christmas, which I think is familiar to a lot of people, but I don't know that everybody knows the story behind the original artist. So many artists have covered that song now. The original is just... I don't know how you top it. Uh, the artist is Donny Hathaway. The song came out in 1970. And it's just such a great song. And it starts with the incredible horn hook. And the beat behind that. And then Donny Hathaway is you know, on the short list of my favorite vocalists. He is just a tremendous talent. And not just as a vocal talent. Here's a guy... Musical all-rounder, writer, arranger, producer, and singer, uh, and and musician. Wonderful keyboard player. Uh, born in Chicago, raised in St. Louis, came out of the, the projects in St. Louis. Got affiliated with uh, Curtis Mayfield's label, Kurtom. He was kind of a house producer, arranger at Kurtom Records. And then his talent clearly shone through. He started releasing his own stuff in 1969. The album... Uh, now I've got uh, the Donny Hathaway solo or, or a self-titled album on CD, and this Christmas was a standalone single release in 1970. They've tacked it onto the CD. That's how I've got it. Uh, it wasn't a big hit at, at the time it was released. I don't even know that it made. If it made the top 40, it just barely scraped in there. But over the years, the genius of this song has been recognized and. Look at the list of artists that have covered it at this point. Diana Ross, Aretha Franklin, The Temptations, Four Tops, Stevie Wonder, Christina Aguilera, Chicago, Harry Connick, NSYNC, Gloria Estefan, Chris Brown, Patti LaBelle, Mary J. Blige, Seal, Train. I mean, 
Hello? Yeah. Poor Donnie, unfortunately, was a troubled soul, uh, struggle with mental illness, and his career really got derailed pretty early on. 73 was his last album, uh, his last solo album. He put out an incredible live album that I, I've, uh, is considered one of the great live albums, just Donnie Hathaway Live, and then just battled his demons for the rest of his life. He was kind of making a comeback at the end of the 70s. Uh, of course, he had a duet with Roberta Flynn. We talked about Donnie mm-hmm. a little bit in that second episode. Had a great uh, two big hit duets with Roberta Flack. Closer I get, closer mm-hmm. I get to you, more yeah. you make. And then, uh, so that was the later one. That was end of the 70s. Uh, where, where is, is the, the love? love? Where is the love? That was the earlier 70s one. Where is the love? The love. So Donnie yeah. Hathaway. Now, this kind of pisses me off. I've read, you know, like vintage reviews. Guys like Donny Hathaway, Roberta Flack, and Kurt, even Curtis Mayfield, the music they produced was lush. It, had, it was heavily arranged, had a lot of sweeteners in it, and they were criticized for that as, as being somehow inauthentic black performers because they drew from all these other outside influences. Now, Curtis Mayfield, he was self-taught, everything he did. Uh, Donny Hathaway... And Roberta Flack were music schooled. I mean, they were classically trained, very talented musicians. So they're drawing upon a range of influences, not just gospel and soul music, but classical music, folk, rock, blues, you name it. It's all in there. And that Donny Hathaway self-titled album is so great. He does a cover of Leon Russell's A Song For You, another song that's been covered by hundreds of artists it's a standard i don't think anybody tops donny hathaway uh no less a talent than stevie wonder said any song donny hathaway sings he owns and and that is certainly the case with a song for you and certainly the case as well with this christmas it is definitely one of my two choices no doubt about it you know the only part i remember of that song is a very special christmas and I actually thought it came out with that a very special Christmas oh, no. collection <laughs> that came out in like the late 80s, maybe early 90s. And that's I just equated it with that for some reason. I do know that song. I would say that it, it definitely has become like a Christmas classic, a cur- you know, a modern day Christmas classic. Um, like you said, so many people have covered it. But I think that Donny Hathaway's version is the one that I'm familiar with. Yeah, it's but. it's it's un, unimpeachable, untouchable. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's it's a good enough song that there's plenty of artists that can make a hash of it. But Donny Hathaway, yeah. his vocals are just so great. Uh, yeah, he's he's came out of the gospel, came out of the church, but a lot of a lot of those type of singers can just take it too far. I mean, I'll be honest here. I know this is sacrilege, but Aretha Franklin. I mean, I've heard a lot of Aretha Franklin. And it, it can get over the top a little, just too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if, if forced Somebody to choose, flourishes. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just uh, you know, Patty Labelle is another good example. Just uh, incredible vocal talent, but just all right. Let's pull it back a little. Let's just uh, rein it in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, my favorite singer in the gospel, you know, in that regard, would be Mavis Staples. I don't think she ever sang a bad note in her life, but 
Donny Hathaway is just an exquisite singer. He's so good. And you could see the influence he had on Stevie Wonder. I mean, really, uh, when Stevie no. Wonder was coming into his own uh, as an adult performer, uh, not just performer, but all-inclusive composer, arranger, musician, composer, yeah. performer. Uh, I You can hear that. I think he's he's getting some influence from Donny Hathaway there. A very similar vocal styles with his early seventies work. I, I think that influence probably went both ways, but uh, somebody that uh, needs to be better known. I think Donny Hathaway, I know one of, uh, if, if I, I think the greatest vocalist that's come around in recent years, in my opinion, is Amy Winehouse, another talented performer who left us way too soon, sadly with demons. But she, she said Donny Hathaway was her favorite singer. Mm-hmm. Or at least one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't he one that she references and absolutely. In rehab? Yeah. Abs- in fact, she name checks him in a song in rehab. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what you, yeah. yeah. Now, before we bring your hubby in, uh, yeah. or maybe, maybe we can bring him in. You could talk about it at the same time. Part of the big, uh, the Christmas tradition for you is watching those animated specials. The Rankin Bass. Yes. Do you still do you still animated? Do you as a fifty plus year old adult, you sit down with your uh your, Oh yeah. Your My teen, kids love your it. Teen well, kids and still watch it every yes. Christmas? Oh yeah, yeah. So that is a tradition that we have carried on because we watched we've watched them every year since the kids were little and still do. Um yeah, I, those, those are the uh Year Without Santa Claus, Santa Claus is coming to town, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer, and the scariest, creepiest one, the little drummer boy. That one always scared the crap out of me when I was younger. Um, I don't even know a few of them. I, obviously, they don't I've... even play. They don't play that one. Like that one, they stopped playing. I think on TV because it was it, it just was too uh, dark and didn't portray the Arab nations very well. <laughs> so it was a very un PC. <laughs> yeah, no, I love those. I think the the music in those specials is really fun. The you know I'm Mr. Heat Miser. Uh, very, <laughs> very impactful on our generation in particular. Yes. I think. And yes. You, you've seen that a lot of musicians of our vintage. Yeah. Ref- referencing. Yeah. The, well, Heat Miser was, of course, Elliot Smith's band down here in Poland. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and there are and, and actually a bunch of um, modern artists have covered those the songs from those specials too on Christmas albums. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that along with the Grinch who stole Christmas and the Charlie Brown peanuts Christmas special were, I mean, it, the thing is, you know, when we were kids, we would really look forward to the one day when they would show those <laughs> that you would have to be home to watch right. it at that time on that day, or you would miss it until the next year. Cause it was only on once uh, on one of those six channels on the, the TV. So it was a big event the right. day that it played, then you had to be home to watch it. But yeah, we, Absolutely. No, we, we still, we still watch those and enjoy those. I love those. I mean, they're, the stories are fun. The stop action animation is really cool. And the music I think is great in those specials i think they're really fun catchy songs and yeah no i remember they're... i obviously remember rudolph and frosty the snowman and uh, frosty the snowman was animated yeah not stop action but it was actually animated but yeah um the the grinch uh and oh, the, yeah. Char- the charlie brown chris the, the other ones i don't really recall the you ones don't remember you a year without santa claus uh-uh, uh-uh. or 
One of them is called Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and it was the story of Kris Kringle and how he became Santa Claus. And and it was the Burger Meister, Meister Burger. You don't remember this? He was banning toys. You, no one could have toys anymore. Uh, so yeah, yeah, how, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. Santa. That's Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Yeah, the title just doesn't ring a bell for me. For okay, Year Without Santa Claus um, is the one that has um, Heat Miser. And gosh, why can't I remember the other one's name? Um, there's the, 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 the cold one, the Jack Frost guy. <laughs> and then there's the heat miser and they were like, so creepy and weird looking, you know, heat miser had like this red hair that was all sticking straight up. And, and the, the Jack Frost was like, had this like really, you know, crookedy pointy nose and. I don't know. They did. They were very, they felt very like, uh, Sid and Marty Croft, you know, like HR puff and stuff. And that they, they had kind of like, that, I never, that I never imagery. liked those. As a kid. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I was into weird stuff even before <laughs> I knew it was weird. <laughs> But, uh, what a but what yeah, a per- the, what a perfect note to bring in your husband. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We need to. Uh, I'm going to go get him. So hang on, just a second here. So, so on that note, we bring in Cheryl's husband, Mike Bot. Now, Mike, uh, Mike, Cheryl, and I all worked at Silver Platters at the same time uh, in the early '90s. Of course, Mike was uh, the the was there long before the two of us. Uh, you were there near the beginning, of the, so. Silver Platters, for those who don't know, okay, so Mike and Cheryl own Silver Platters. They have three record stores in the Puget Sound area. But initially, Silver Platters was not a record store per se. It, it specialized in those newfangled five-inch shiny aluminum discs called compact discs, which were cutting-edge technology back in the mid-'80s. Now, And laser video discs. And la- That's right, laser video discs Both as well. Both being silver platters that's right uh, so you started silver platters in 1987 87 and the store began in 85 now i'm surprised that it started that early because you know at, at this point in my life i'm a super geek collector so i look for the old cds before u.s pressing plants yep so 85 correct me if i'm wrong mike was the year that digital audio disc incorporated or Digital Audio Disc Corporation went online in Terre Haute, Indiana, and that was the first U.S. pressing plant yep. for compact discs. So prior to that, all compact discs and compact discs started being released in the toward the end of '82. Yes. So pr- yeah. prior to prior to prior to DADC coming online in Indiana, all compact discs were manufactured overseas, either in Japan or in Germany. So. I kind of I'm on the hunt for those. I, I collect the uh, the early foreign pressings. So silver platters actually started in '85 before CDs were even being manufactured in the United States. Yes, interesting. Um, so by the time Cheryl and I were there, you were uh, you were at the corporate office as the buyer. Yep. For the company, and uh, eventually. Um, you and Cheryl struck up a relationship, married, and uh, the company became your property. But now it's uh, it's a full service record store with vinyl and CD. Yes, yeah. And I'm we, sure you even have cassette tapes too, if you're into that. Cassette thing. tapes. We still have some laser videos running around, eight tracks. 
<laughs> I actually have, uh, I got a couple of uh, open reels over here that I picked up here and there. Yeah, I don't that's, have a player. that's the one thing that we haven't really gotten into. Yeah. Did you have, have you ever owned one? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Real, actually, didn't own it. It was loaned to me by another person at Silver Platter, Steve Witt, who used to be a recording artist. And he had stopped using it and knew that my brother and myself were interested in recording and, uh, and lent it to me. And so we played lots of fun games with the reel to reel and tape recorders like and playing things backwards. Yes. The, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the first chance of actually recording an album and then playing it backwards to see if it actually had hidden, satanic messages. Hidden messages. <laughs> when, when I first started working in radio full time, when I moved to Astoria, Oregon, 1999, it was a, a duopoly AM FM. And they soon got bought out by a, uh, New Northwest Broadcasters conglomeration. The FM station was automated, but all the music ran on these linked reel to reel players. There were like five of them. And so you had to, you know, like change the reels. Every, that was kind of like part of your duties. And if you put them on wrong, <laughs> the music would play backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very antiquated system. Anyway, before we get too far off track, I do want to grill you a little bit before we get to your Christmas pick. Um, first CD you ever bought, Mike, what was it? The first CD that I ever bought, I believe, was... My aim is true by Elvis Costello. Is that your favorite Elvis Costello album? No. Much like a lot of my favorite artists, I have like three or four favorite Costello albums, and they change from this one being my favorite to this one being my favorite to this back to this one. It depends on the mood you're in. Yeah, it just depends on the mood and stuff like that, but. You you really can't go wrong with the first like five Costello albums. Cheryl and I talked about this. I don't know if we did it on a pod that we released yet, but uh, Trust is one I haven't come around to yet uh, that I'm curious about. That it seems like that one's hard to come by for some reason. You mean come by it physically? Yeah. Yes. So I I I'm oh, okay. still very I'm very old fashioned. I still buy everything on physical media, primarily CDs, and I'm a scavenger. So I'm try I'm I'm I hit thrift shops and look for trying to get things at low prices. Trust is just never something, never something you find used for some reason. Well, are you looking for the original Columbia? No. Well, issue? yes. Or, yes. Or, and, well, the Rhino the and the Columbia. Okay. I, not the Ryko, the, the, uh, the Columbia or the Rhino. Oh, why not yeah. the Ryko? They're not as collectible. Maybe that one is. Maybe that's got something special yeah. on it I don't know about. Because but... he's all old school, and he thinks he wants the old ones. <laughs> well, But you don't need to get I, into that. Yeah, No, we're, was, we're going way, way yeah, off track here. We could go down a rabbit hole right now. So <laughs> We're going to have Mike on more. We're going to drag him in <laughs> against his will if we have to, at least once for every year of our, of our playlist to get his take. Uh, so there's, there's plenty of ground we can cover down the road, but we want to talk about your Christmas pick. Cause this one was something I was entirely unfamiliar with. Yeah. My, I, I love Christmas music and I have lots of favorites. Um, 
you know, one that hasn't been brought up that needs to be brought up is the Vince Guaraldi Peanuts Christmas yeah. album and Linus and Lucy. Uh, amazing stuff. And well, Linus and Lucy is just, you know, just separate it from the Peanuts cartoons. It's one of the great pieces of instrumental music ever. Yes. Really? Yeah. It is. Yeah. And then throw in the dance that comes with it in the actual. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Christmas song that caught my ear, I heard it on Kazam Radio in 1981 around KZAM. Seattle, Which, Washington. Yeah, it was an FM radio station that was kind of hippy-dippy. Um, they played all sorts of different music. And a DJ that had started there, Peyton Mays, played this track by the Corey band called Stop the Cavalry around Christmas time of 1981. And it was so catchy, and I'd never heard it before. It was one of the few times that I've called into a station and said, what was that? And and Peyton May said, I really don't know what it is. What I just played was a cassette that was sent to me by a DJ friend of mine in Toronto. And I know it's the Corey Band. I know it's Stop the Cavalry, but that's all I know. Corey and, Band, C-O-R-I? C-O-R-Y? Yeah, C-O-R-Y. C-O-R-Y. Yeah. So then it became a search to try to find this recording. And it years of, of searching. In the mid-80s, a, another popular DJ in the Seattle area, Larry Nelson, who had his own show, a morning show on Como, very famous. Many years, many yeah. years on Como, yeah. Uh, he started playing the song. He was part of not just Como, but a couple of other stations where they play 88 hours of Christmas and he always bring out the Corey band, stop the cavalry. So it started to get its own following in the Northwest. It was about that time that I, I had figured out that it was actually a cover of a hit by a stiff recording artist. Speaking of Ellis Costello and yes, uh, by the name of Jonah Louie in the UK in 1980 and he wrote it not as a christmas song but as an anti-war protest song although the album came out around christmas time in 1980 and stiff decided to make it christmassy and and recorded it with a salvation army brass band behind it and tubular bells and it does talk about christmas the, the main theme is the soldier wanting to be home for Christmas with the girl he loves. And because back then there was no internet, you know, there, it was very hard to figure out uh, things, especially things coming from the UK. If they didn't have any radio play or anything in the U S yeah. which this Jonah Looney didn't, but it became the number three song in December of 1980 in the UK and the only reason it didn't reach number one was because the week that it came out, John Lennon was shot. And the two songs that were number one and two were John Lennon songs. Uh, so Jonah Louis' Stop the Calvary was number three. The Corey Band version, it turns out, was a version that Stiff Records decided to try to put out and capitalize on 
the popularity of the song in 1981. And because it had such a kind of retro feeling to it, they searched out a brass band to cover it. And the town of Corrie, which is in Wales, they have a band. So Stiff got the then director of that band to get the band to do that song. And they recorded it and they were going to try to put it back out and get it going again for Christmas. They recorded a, a few hundred promo 45s of it and through a kind of a fluke, instead of shipping them to UK radio stations, they got a lot of them actually got shipped to uh, Canada, mainly the Toronto area and into radio stations there. And so where it got its life was not over in the UK. It kind of flopped over there, the idea of trying to resurrect it. But in Canada, a couple DJs started, hey, this is pretty cool, and started sharing it with other DJ friends in the States. And that's how Peyton Mays got it. I'm guessing that's how Larry Nelson kind of found out about it through DJ Network and and for those who don't know, there over the decades, there's this whole underground network of tape trading between radio people. Like these things circulate yep. among this DJ community. Yeah, you're you're right. So this song got its life through. It's very catchy, but the reason I love the song is the story about it and how it all of a sudden resurrected itself over in the Pacific Northwest and started becoming this very requested song. And the only way that you could listen to it was if you listened to the radio. And back when I was working at Silver Platters, people would come in the store at Christmas time and say, I'm looking for that one song they play on the radio. I don't know what the name of it is. I don't know. You know, it's that one song. And I would step <laughs> yeah. out and I'd start doing... And they go, yes, that one, that one, what is that? And and then, you know, at that time, I would tell them, well, it's not on CD. It's, you know, it's the Cory Band, Stop the Calvary. Good luck in trying to find a copy of it. And it's gonna be low, it's gonna be low fidelity, whatever you find. And and uh so well in the early 90s. Uh, 1991, Rhino Records got the licensing rights to the Stiff catalog. And I, at that time, I knew a number of people at Rhino Records. And I, I sent a message out, while you're going through the masters, see if you can find the Corey Band version of Stop the Cavalry. I'm sure you'll find the Jonah Louie version. And I got a message back. Yeah, we're looking for that too. <laughs> and then a couple weeks later, I got the message. Sorry to tell you, they don't have the master anymore. And that their best guess is that the master, because it was a flop for the Cory Band version, was reused for Nick Lowe's Pinker and Prouder than previous. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they didn't want to buy a new tape, so they just reused the master tape and of the Corey band. So there was no master. And so it was decided that they weren't going to put it on any of their Rhino compilations of stiff stuff, just the Jonah Louie version. 
which in its own right is very catchy and 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 uh, should be listened to. Is is that is the Jonah Louis version? Would that be on the stiff box set, or how would you? Yeah, I, I believe it's it's on the stiff box set. In '95, one of the Silver Platters customers, he was kind of in radio, but he was more in TV. He was uh, JP Patches' music man and the music man for uh, Cairo TV. Uh, Dwayne Smart. And, and for those of you outside the Northwest who have stumbled upon this or have been following us, J.P. Patches was a beloved television uh, children's entertainer in yeah, Seattle. For years. Cairo, Cairo TV, the CBS affiliate. Yeah. And, and you know, every region had their own children's TV host that was beloved back. You know, that was a thing back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Right. Um, and this this person reached out, had heard that I knew about the song, reached out. He wanted to put it on CD. And I told him, well, it's from Stiff Records. Gave him the Stiff Records phone number and all the contact information. He reached out to them and he called me back about a week later and said, guess what? I, I, I bought the licensing rights for it. And and they're going to send me the master. And I said they don't have the master. <laughs> no, they told me they've got the master, and and they're going to send it to me. And uh, it ended up that they didn't have the master, and sent him um, the best forty five that they had, forty five copy. And he took that and and made a CD of it since he had the licensing rights. And Silver Platters was the only place that you could buy the CD at that time. How about that? If I remember correctly, we sold a couple thousand copies of them for the first couple years that we were putting them out. Um, there's, there's somewhere online a person who states that there were 13,000 sold physical copies of the CD. And I think that he may have gotten that information from Dwayne. But... By just in the Puget Sound area, mostly in the Puget Sound area. Wow, but, but that's pretty um, impressive. We had started our own website and started selling things online. And what was interesting was that uh, we were getting outside sales from a, a couple different states, one of the main ones being Pennsylvania. And when I started, I would ask people, How did you hear this song? It pretty much all came down to. They had lived in the Pacific Northwest. And the reason that Pennsylvania is that they had served in the Pacific Northwest, it was ah, yeah. uh, military. Uh, a lot of military families live both in the Northwest and also in Pennsylvania. You got uh, uh, Whidbey Island, Naval Air Base, uh, McCord and Fort Lewis. Yeah. All that. In the, yeah. Yeah. You've got... Uh, uh, a lot of um, military here and the same sort of military over in Pennsylvania. And so it traveled over there with them and, you know, became a family, you know, just hear all the time about it was something the family looked forward to listening to every year. You know, all these families would wait to hear the Cory band, and, and so it, it was uh, nice that it came kind of full circle and from being a, a cassette tape being played on a FM radio station late one night 
in the early 80s to being on actual on CD and sold at our record store, the only place selling it and selling thousands of copies. That's very cool. And now, uh, thankfully, uh, if anybody listening or watching wants to hear that song, it is up on YouTube, which I was just playing it yep. before the show. To yeah. And, and yeah. The, w- when we stopped, um, uh, when Dwayne du- stopped making the CDs, once he got the the song up onto iTunes and Spotify, and he felt it was no longer needed to to keep on pressing the CD. Well, Mike, that's a great story, hearkening back to those magical days of radio when if you wanted to find out what a song was, you you waited till the end and just hoped and prayed that the DJ would tell you yes. <laughs> what it was. Mike, it's great to have you on, and, and I hope you're going to be joining us regularly to put in your uh, two cents on the uh, on the playlist. Uh, I want to hear your favorite uh, songs and albums from each year we do, too. Yep. Sounds good. All right. But this is uh, uh, the end of our Christmas episode, our, our four songs. The one Mike just uh, detailed, uh, uh, a rarity, is called Stop the Calvary, uh, Cavalry. Uh, by the Corey Band, and uh, your best uh, bet is to find that on YouTube. Uh, My Two Picks, This Christmas by Donny Hathaway from 1970, and Emmy Lou Harris's recording of Christmas Times A-Coming, which was on her 1979 Christmas LP called Light of the Stable, and Cheryl's Christmas classic, Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney, also 1979, right? 1979? It was recorded in 79, and it actually yeah. was released as um, a bonus track on the um, reissue of Back to the Egg. So when we reconvene, we're going to be uh, continuing with 1977. We dipped our toe in with uh, the Eagles and Hotel California. Cheryl's first pick for that year was uh, Climax Blues Bands Couldn't Get It Right. We're going to take a look at... Uh, a very influential track from that year uh, in terms of uh, keyboard technology, synthesizer technology, one that was uh, a, a hit in the United States, not a massive hit, but a huge hit in the rest of the world. And uh, its influence uh, goes way beyond its uh, record sales that will feature on our next show. And we hope you join us then. We're going to stick around in 1977 for a few years. Cheryl's also going to pick her favorite album from 1977 on our next show. I am. Until uh, then, uh, you've been listening to Matt and Cheryl's Gen Excellent Playlist. I'm Matt. I'm Cheryl. And we hope you all have a very Merry Christmas.